Well, let me uh, once again, as Abe did, uh, welcome you officially here to Restoration Church. If this is your first time tuning in with us, we're glad to have you. If you have been tuned in with us before, we're equally glad uh, to have you. In just a moment, I'm going to jump into a little two-week mini-series that I wanted to start about being made in the image of God. I think it's a very timely uh, truth for us to examine at this moment in the life of our our lives and our culture. But before we do that, I, I actually want to take a quick minute to mention just some very important things that are going on in the life of our church. And so uh, many of you, especially if you've been with us for any amount of time, uh, you might remember at the beginning of, of this whole sort of uh, COVID thing, we, we rooted ourselves in a verse from 2 Timothy 1.7 that said, we as God's people uh, would never make decisions based out of fear or uh, irrational thinking. That is not a spirit that God has given us, but he's given us this incredible gift of, uh, of a sound mind. And so every decision we have made has uh, been, to the best of our ability, uh, guided by the wisdom and the direction of Jesus. And so uh, I had hoped to say this last week, but obviously we had some, some technical difficulties last week, and I'm thankful that uh, you all have sort of carried over with us this week so that I can mention to you what I had planned to say last week, and that is two things. Uh, the first is that we actually have a, a timeline uh, for reopening that we actually want to present to you later on this week. I won't get into dates and details now, just because that is, uh, it'll likely likely be convoluted in a conversation like this. What I'd prefer to do is have that information out there for you, and then uh, we can dialogue about it afterwards. But I want you to keep in mind that uh, that will be releasing this week across all of our platforms. And the second thing that I want to say is, is actually connected to that. So about three or four weeks ago, we released a survey to you all that was very helpful for us to understand what your feelings were about reopening. And obviously, you know, uh, in, a, in a situation like this, there's lots of diverse opinions anywhere and everywhere you go. And so that's why that teaching from 2 Timothy 1.7 is so critical for us to, uh, to rely on. And so one of the, the values we've always had as a church is what we call the plurality of input. And what that simply means is while we have leaders, I am I am a, the pastor here. We have other folks that serve in different uh, but equally important leadership capacities. We've never believed in sort of like an autocratic or a one-off type of, of, of leadership. And so your voice is an actual significant part of our next steps. And the reason I say this is because when we released that survey to you about a month ago, uh, the situation in Florida was very different than what it is now. And what I would like to do very kindly is encourage you. This week we want to send out a survey again. There'll be some subtle changes to it. I promise you, you can do the thing in about 30 seconds. It will release the same way that it did last time um, by email. If for some reason you have difficulty receiving it or you don't get it, you can certainly contact our office and we will get in touch with you. But what I want to do is factor in uh, the recent changes in how Florida's case counts have risen uh, into our, our plan. Uh, what that means is that's going to help us to understand what type of options we want to present to you uh, aside from in-person in gatherings. So I, I really want to ask you to excuse the redundancy of sending this out again, uh, but there are two different questions in it that are really helpful for us so that we can hear from you about our next steps. So I want to deeply encourage you uh, to take that survey as quickly as you can, encourage anybody you know in your community groups or in your natural spheres of influence that has not taken it when it releases um, to take it. And then midweekish or so, we'll go ahead and begin pumping some information out about our, our next steps. So uh, we 
we want to make sure that uh, as Abe just prayed, we don't function out of any type of fear because we have an incredible God who loves us. And uh, we want to continue to look to him so that our spirits would be uh, aligned with his Holy Spirit and, and really sort of at, at peace. We trust in God for our next steps, and we use this incredible thing that he's given us, our minds, to make good and wise decisions for the betterment, not just of our world, but certainly of our bodies. So, with that said, stay tuned for some information this week. Look for that survey, and we'll go ahead and make a couple of reminder posts throughout the week uh, to get you primed to take it. And so, today, I want to spend some time examining what it, what it means to be made in, in God's image. And there's a reason for this. Uh, my hope is that you will see that with all that is going on in our world today, these uh, brief, but I mean very brief, but profound words from Genesis chapter 1, they give us an, an awful lot to think about, and I would actually say to act upon. Anything we read in the scripture is not merely meant to be sort of consumed. Uh, we, we, we intake this stuff and process it with our mind and our hearts, and eventually this should shape what we like to say at Restoration is our hands, the things that we, we do. These truths have significant and relevant impacts on our lives. And so I, I think it's very timely for us to look at this teaching in light of what's going on in our world today. In other words, this teaching is very applicable to this moment in culture, where we have rightfully been challenged to think about how we value and, and dignify human life in a host of ways. As believers, due to the ever-present reminder of the coronavirus and as of late the groundswell of people around uh, the world and our country who are calling attention uh, to the disparity of racism, it would really do us well, especially for those of us following Jesus, to know what the scriptures have to say about the value and the dignity of human life. And the reason for this is so that we are prepared to meet any areas of darkness that we see in our world with the light and the life of Christ. You know, I've said this before from the front of the room at our church that uh, when Jesus is in you, where your feet go, his light goes with you. And so looking at this teaching today is important because it allows us to understand how his light and life can really illuminate some significant challenges, uh, some significant areas of darkness that we see in our world today. And so I want to jump in and examine today anyways this foundational truth that we must grasp if we want to understand how, simply put, to make the world a better place, especially when it comes to how we treat other people. This is really a teaching about how our understanding of being made in the image of God is meant to impact how we understand our personal value and worth and how we value and prescribe worth to the people that are around us. And so there's only one main truth I want to share with you this morning that we derive from Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and it is this. Every person in this world, there is not a single human being in this world, every person in this world is reflecting the image of something in their life. And we derive this truth from Genesis 1.27. I'll read it to you. This is an excerpt from the message. And there we read this. So God created mankind, which is cumulative of every human being on earth. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It's a very short verse. It's a very important verse. It's, it's the foundation, if you will, upon which a, a great deal of our society and culture as, as a people, as humans, has been built on. And in these verses, Genesis teaches us that, that God created every person, I like to say as a mirror, meant to reflect something in life. We've all been built to reflect an image. And a quick survey of people will show how, how prevalent this, this truth is, how inarguable this truth is. For example... We see it in, look at just the natural reality of raising children. 
A lot of times our children grow up in certain areas to be like us because they have sort of uh, they've been around or uh, that image for such a long time that they rather naturally inherit some of our, our values. Uh, we see it in the way that athletes pattern their lives after renowned athletes. Most folks, like if you were to talk to people in professional sports, they have a, a sport hero that they looked up to as a, as a kid. There was some person whom set, they set the pace for their desire um, to excel in an area of athletics. We see it in uh, the business world too. I mean, just go ahead and go to Amazon and, and search business books and see how many of them come up. There's tons of people that, that look to other successful uh, business women and men and they say, you know, there's some attributes or qualities that I can learn from this person. I wanna reflect that image because if I do, it'll make my life better. And so in, in all of this, the idea is that we, we want our lives to be remade into a different image of something or someone whom we admire and maybe even aspire to, to be like. And there's nothing wrong with this statement. In one sense, it sort of recognizes that part of what it means to be human is that we are always growing. And what I want to call our attention to today is that a lot of times the way we grow, how we progress in life, is deeply influenced by, by other people. And the reason we're like this is explained here in Genesis, where we learn everyone from the moment of birth is truly hardwired to reflect the image of or identity of something in this life. We're all reflecting something. That's the way we've been built. And so sometimes in our own lives, we consciously choose which image we want to reflect. Let me explain what I mean by this. A couple of weeks ago, I heard somebody say in, in passing that they wanted to be like Mother Teresa. And they gave a reason for this. They said because this was a woman who had a bottomless well of empathy and compassion in the way she treated people. In other words, they looked to her life and they thought that was a life that was really well lived. And the care and the empathy, and the comfort and the love, the way she valued people is something that I want to emulate in my life. That's a great example of, of desiring a, a reflection uh, on your heart. Something maybe you are not yet, but you want to aspire to be. I know for me, there have been several people throughout my life that have sort of, we might call them mirrors, whom I have tried to reflect. And one of them, uh, I think it's very timely to mention, but I've always appreciated the ministry of the recently passed Ravi Zacharias, because he had this amazing ability uh, to discuss incredibly complicated matters of life and faith in a way that was accessible to people from all walks of life. And I have always admired that skill, and, and I try to reflect it in my teaching. The, the world can be, in our lives, can be a very complicated place. And some of the greatest men and women who teach in our world, they're able to take these ideas and present them in ways that are accessible to anyone from all spheres of life. That is a, a value, an image, you, I can say, that I try to reflect. And so, for those of you, think about this from another angle, that are really tied into the world of media. You read a lot of books or online articles or social media. Just look at the recent advent of what our culture has come to call social media influencers. In the social media world or the print world, you become an influencer when you gain enough of a, of a following that people not only listen to what you're saying, but they start to reshape their lives into the image of what your voice says. Whatever you say, a person says, that's interesting, and I, I actually want to be like that. That's, that's an image I want to reflect in my life. Or maybe rather naturally, you grew up in a home where your father always emphasized being honest, or your, your mom was incredibly gracious and, and, and gentle-hearted, and because of this, you are, you are not even fully aware of the way that, 
that this was sort of rubbing off on you. Sometimes we can clearly look at something and say, I want to be like that. Other times we become like something unintentionally knowing it. In other words, you grew up in this home and because these two values, honesty and gentleness, were just displayed constantly, you never had an innate desire to be like that, but you, you actually did grow into that image because it was so prevalent and so pronounced in your life. This is the good side of the fence. Sometimes we inherit bad things. Like, for example, if you grew up in a home where there was a lot of anger or a world where there was a ton of negativity, it's very likely that you might have inherited a bit of a bad temper because that's all you knew. That's all you saw. Or maybe you grew up in an environment where, like, a hard work ethic was not really valued. And so, consequently, that is something you feel like you don't have present in your life. That's another great example of, of how unintentionally certain attitudes can, can rub off on us. They can shape us in ways we're not even aware of. Now, we really could go on like this all morning, giving examples of ways we intentionally choose an image that we want to reflect, or sort of unintentionally are molded by images in our lives. But I simply want to use this human reality to point out a very serious biblical truth. It's sort of the nugget of everything we're looking at today. Whether we know it or not, it's undeniable that every one of us is reflecting the image of something or someone in our lives. And for those of us that, that claim to follow Jesus, for the Christian, it is important that we undergo the daily task of figuring out whether or not we are reflecting the right thing or things. In other words, as Christians, we have been made not just in the image of God, but we are to grow in our reflection of Him every day. And the reason all people naturally reflect the image of something is because, as I said a moment ago, we've all been made in God's image. We all we all bear the, the remnant DNA of God's creation in this world. We've literally been made to reflect the goodness and grace of our God. And at some point, we must all choose to live in the image we were designed for, in the Christian perspective, we would say by fully following Christ, or we allow something else to define our image in this life. There are other things that take precedent over Jesus, and they define who he is, as opposed to the image of Jesus in our lives defining all of the other precedents in our lives. And so please note at the outset of this that when, when we speak of and when the Bible speaks of image, it is not referring to just the external appearance of something. This, this teaching, if we misunderstand what the word image means, could sound very shallow and surface level. The idea of image here is referring to the very depths of who you are as a person, not just an, ex an external appearance. It's actually talking about the substance of what makes you, you. And so naturally, if we read the Bible, we learn that God's desire for every person is that we genuinely want to reflect his image. We desire to be like Christ. And that is really what God wants for all people. But as you well know, this is probably a personal experience you've had at some time. I know I have. And even just looking around the world, or at the world around us, there are times in our lives where what people want for themselves is not what God wants for them. In other words, God wants us to mirror Jesus. But we desire to mirror other things, some things that might be very far from the truth and the ways of Jesus. And this begs a very serious question that we must all answer in life. We pose it today, but it's not, it's not a question we answer once. It's a question we sort of pose and repose. Because remember, every one of us is reflecting the image of something. We, as believers, and I would argue this is a truth that transcends just the Christian camp. No person on earth should want to unintentionally be migrating towards the image of something they're not aware of. 
We only get one life on this earth, and we should really shepherd it well. We should steward it well, and we should do our best to sort of know who we are and where we want to go in our lives. In other words, we should become self-aware. And when we speak of the kingdom of God, of Christianity, what we want to do is say we want to be self-aware of the person of Jesus and ask ourselves if our lives, if our priorities, if our image line up with his. Do we reflect him? Not in perfect ways, but certainly in ever-growing ways. Because one of the keys to growing as a Christian is getting to the place where you and I are keenly aware of what we really value in life. Some people like to say what we behold as, as beautiful in life, the things we sort of fix the gaze of our hearts upon. Because as Genesis teaches, we will become most like that which we most love in this life. What you find most beautiful, what you focus on most intently, is very much going to shape who you are as a person. And even though we've been built to love God above all else, this is not always the case for us in reality. This is why we, we say that following Jesus is a lifelong process of seeing him as, as Lord. Truthfully, we'll spend the rest of our days you know, migrating from image to image as we become more like him. And let me give you an example. This is one I like to refer to often because it's probably the most common one in our culture of how uh, desiring an image, if it is not rooted in the person of Christ, can actually seem good at the outset, but be problematic in the long run. For example, if the image you want most in life is for people to see you as, as a success, okay? I've not met many people who don't want to be successful at what they're doing. And that can range from raising children in a home, to running an organization, to being involved in a military unit, no matter what it is you are doing. Most people that I speak to want to be able to, to do that well. They want success in that. And so if success is the thing you value most in life, what happens is success becomes a God in your life, what we would call a lowercase g. And when we desire, for example, success above all else, what tends to happen is we will rather naturally try to attain it above all else. And this is one of the reasons so many people become so obsessed with it in our culture. Uh, why workaholism, not in all areas of life, but workaholism is, a, is an issue in our culture. Some people find their ultimate identity not in who they are, but, it, but in what they do. And so if we are ultimately validated, if we are ultimately dignified by what we do, which is important, what happens is we, we will ultimately make that the God of our life. And like following Jesus, the God of success calls a person to bring every area of their life under its lordship. The big difference being unlike Jesus, success is a very shifty God, lowercase g, that comes and goes. Success often makes promises that it cannot keep. And any of you that have spent any amount of time in this world know this to be true. Our life plans and goals seldom work out the way we've mapped them out on a piece of paper. There's setbacks and successes. And so what happens here is if, if success is what you want, and whatever it is you're doing, when you find success, and you will at times, you will be filled with joy. Your life will be on the top of a mountain, exuberant. But when you don't find success, or when success is withheld from you, or when you fail, or when your version of what you thought success was supposed to be turns out to not actually be what success is, you will equally be wrecked in your soul, wondering what you did to cause that God to betray you. In other words, you did everything you were supposed to do, but you did not achieve the outcome you were supposed to or the outcome you expected to achieve. And consequently, what happens is you'll be robbed of your true and unassailable identity in Jesus. 
And so a true Christ follower, a true Christian knows that while being a disciple, this is the word we use a lot at, at Restoration, is an identity granted to you and I by the grace of Jesus. To be able to call ourselves Christians or followers of Christ, it's very important to know that that in itself is a defining identity. It is an image meant to to reflect into every image that we have in life. Every other thing we do is meant to be shaped under that important truth. It is also an image that we must be willing to fight for when other images that aren't Jesus try to cast you and I in their image. And here's why deeply understanding and applying this truth to our hearts today matters. I mean, really matters. When you reflect the image of a child of God, like we read in Genesis, when you when you sort of recognize that you bear the image of a God who, who has deemed your life incredibly valuable, dignified, and, and worthy. When you reflect the image of a child of God first and foremost in your life, you, you actually do have the freedom to pursue lots of things in life. For example, success. I'm not saying success is a bad thing. I'm just saying that if it becomes an ultimate thing, then it becomes a bad thing. And so if your ultimate identity is rooted in the image of Jesus, you really do have the freedom to pursue success without the pressure of having to worship it like a god. Because you know who you are in Jesus. And the beauty of, of this image truth that we're talking about today is that acquiring success or not having success cannot alter the identity that Jesus has placed on your life. When you recognize you are made in the image of God, it is truly an image that is unassailable. That does not mean that life won't be difficult or challenging. It just means that success can no longer define you or rob you of your joy. Because there is something more powerful and more valuable. There is an identity above those identities that really allows you to deal with success and failure in more healthy uh, emotional ways. And so the desire to live like this is really an evidence that, that you're a child of God. And with this image bearing comes stability. There's often an immeasurable amount of stability associated with our hearts aligning themselves with this truth. And keep in mind, this is a truth we spend our, our whole lives growing into. You know, in the Christian faith, the fancy word for this is sanctification. It simply means that once we find Christ, we spend the rest of our days growing into his image. So there's a ton of grace in what I'm saying here. We all have places in our lives, very likely, where we reflect the image of Jesus well. And then we all have images in our lives where we, where we probably have some room to grow into the image of Jesus. And we just have to be honest about that and encourage each other in these areas. And it's very important because you have to know, living in the image of Christ like this is not always going to be easy. In fact, if you read scripture, a lot of times, you know, Jesus refers to this idea of counting the cost of what it means to follow him. Because it is something that you and I will be challenged just about every day of our life to think about. And this is because we live in a culture where we are absolutely inundated by voices calling out to us to, to be like whatever that voice says we need to be. From, from campaign marketing, from people telling us about what products we need to make ourselves happy, to modern day movements, hosts of people are constantly offering a message that they are telling us we need to live our lives by. Now, please hear me here. I am not saying that every one of those marketing messages is wrong. I am not saying that every one of those movement messages is wrong. However, I am saying that if you and I have chosen to follow Jesus, then we have to sift each and every one of those messages through his truth first. Because there is a truth 
that, that is above all these other things. There's a truth in Jesus that helps us to discern what is good and true and right in the eyes of our God. And the main truth Genesis leads us to here is not just about how we value ourselves, although that's a very important part of this equation. The fact that you have been made in the image of God, just like me, means that we are inherently valuable. We, we have a prescribed worth to us that no human can take away. They may attempt to take it away from us. And at times we might be weak in our soul and spirit and we, and we seek victory to those people. The truth is, though, nobody can rob this type of identity from us because it has been etched into the tablets of our hearts. God gave it to us, and therefore no human can remove it from us unless we, we, we give them the authority to do so. It matters in how we see ourselves, what Genesis teaches us. But it also, it also matters in a very significant way about how we see and value other people. Equally important is how we see other people. Let me explain. The evidence that you know your life really matters to God because you've been made in His image is when you live your life as if everyone else matters to God in the same way. So this is a great example of what I said earlier, that this is not just a truth we are, we are to know about ourselves. It is a truth that is not meant to shape how we see and treat other people. And what I'm trying to say here is being made in God's image means each and every one of us deeply matters to God. No matter how you feel about yourself today, you matter to God. But you have to know that you're not the only person that matters to God. God does deeply care about you and I. But he also cares about the host of people in our world, the rest of the people in our world. And it is his desire, especially for those of us that bear the light in life of Jesus, that wherever we go, this message that we have been made in God's image, this message of dignity, goes with us. And here's why. This image truth concretely prescribes worth and dignity to every human life. Every life. Because every human, in one way or another, bears the thumbprint of God in their lives. And because of this, we must make sure that we never carry ourselves in a way that undermines this truth, and consequently, any particular type of person because of it. The, the, the people in our world, what God desires them to hear is, is this amazing value that God has prescribed to them and this unending pursuing love that he has shown the world through Jesus. Simply put, God wants every person, every tribe, every tongue to know that they are precious in his sight because they have been made in his image. And the best way to see just how valuable people are is not just to utter these words to people or to treat them in ways that dignify them. It's to recognize that Jesus ultimately went to the cross not to divide humanity, but to unite humanity under this common banner of his name. The beauty of what we, what we believe about the cross of Jesus Christ is that it gives the world a common truth to look upon in the person of Jesus. And that truth is that God's love for people runs so deep that he was willing to put Jesus on the cross to mend the wrongs of our sin. And I want to say, as we begin to wrap up, if ever there was a time in our culture that we needed to hear this message of unification, this message of unity and truth, it is now. It is God's desire, based on that incredible act of love and sacrifice, that we as people would grow in our unity and love for Him, not to perpetuate the problems we see in our world, to, to continue creating further divisions between people by easily erecting, we're going to talk about this next week, by easily erecting man-made barriers. The story of humanity is in large part a story of, of us being masters at the skill 
of erecting barriers between us and other people for lots of reasons, some of them which we're seeing in our culture today. Easily erected man-made barriers of things like race, uh, gender, or skin color, socioeconomic status, or whatever wall that I've not mentioned here that people use to either dignify or de-dignify people. This Genesis truth is the foundation of why we believe every living being on this earth, like from the smallest minnow uh, to the sea, in the sea, that smallest minnow to every person on the world, in the world, they, they are beautiful and made in the image of God. We live in a very big and diverse planet. And I do believe that the message of the cross is one of the best ways we can communicate just how similar we are, just how unified we can be when we look to the hope and the truth of Jesus. That message has the power to compel us to see every single person in our lives, all people, are inherently valuable and precious to God because they bear His image. And this is also why I deeply believe that what we have seen going on in our country and world, especially over these last months, grieves the heart of our Father in Heaven. Let me explain what I mean by that. We'll look at this from two examples. First is the virus. Okay, The majority today of news coverage about the coronavirus that I've seen, the very reason that at this moment, myself and several others around the country and world are live streaming to you, that's why we're not sitting in a room today. Today, the majority of news coverage that I see about the coronavirus is gotten politically charged. It's like a dynamite cake. And what's happened is the actual human toll, the reality of what this has done to some people, is now subordinated to, uh, frankly, to the politicization of this thing. And ironically, one of the most hot-button issues in our culture today is whether or not you should wear a mask when you go out. There has literally, I've seen the videos of it, literally been physical violence because of how divisive this issue has become in our country. And I'm not here to politicize with you. If you want to know my opinions on masks, um, I wear one. That's what I do. But my point here is not to reinforce that, that narrative, this sort of like let's put five people on a panel in the news and cause them to destroy each other verbally because of whether or not they think you should or shouldn't be wearing a mask. The more I've watched this, I often wonder how God sees this situation. And here's what I mean by this. Here's, here's an easy way that our minds and our hearts can be distracted from the, the true truth embedded in this situation. There seems to be a lot more passion from some people about whether or not you should wear a mask or not, rather than what should be grief and lament about the fact that at the time I'm delivering this message, like right now, approximately 130,000 Americans have died from this, and over half a million people around the world have died from it, globally, okay? I wonder why in some circles of our culture, People are so myopic, why they can just casually gloss over that massive amount of death and suffering. And think about this, all the people and families connected to those losses, that they're dealing with the death of a loved one right now. I wonder why it is that we can get so fixed on these, what seem like silly issues, at the expense of really tremendous issues right around us. And I do believe that this is a subliminal way uh, that reveals how some people view life. The bottom line here is that not all people see all life in the same way as, as God does. Those, those numbers, which are substantial, all represent a single person that was made in the image of God, who was cared about by God. And I wonder if lament, grief, and prayer would be a better use, especially for those of us following um, Jesus, if that would be a better use of our time. I'm not accusing you of anything here, obviously. 
but that would be a better use of our time than, than sort of uh, replicating the image of what we see on media, which seems to be highly inflammatory right now. And the same can be said, second thing I want to mention, about the massive amount of civil unrest we've seen over these past months due to the deep-seated concerns about the toxic and lingering effects of racism in our country and around the world. And again, I want to make clear, these matters, they start out, the conversations begin with human dignity, but now what happens is they become so highly charged, so political, that the politicization is detracting from the real question some of this unrest seeks to answer. And it's an answer already given to us in Genesis 1. Rather than focusing on this, what we should be doing is asking ourselves, do we, do we knowingly or unknowingly prescribe different levels of worth and value to people based on whatever metric we're using? Again, I reiterate, skin color, uh, accent, religious backgrounds, whatever it is, do we knowingly or unknowingly prescribe a different level of worth towards another human being because they are different? That is the question that our culture is attempting to answer right now. And it is being answered in the form of this, this unrest. And here is where I will literally end this today. My hope, because there's so much influence in the world today right now, my hope is that we as God's people will not allow these questions about how we see life to be answered by the voices of politicians, uh, pundits, the social media influencers, or whatever other voice attempts to influence us. Rather, that we would let the very voice of God answer this question from the truth of his word. If you want to know about the dignity of life, God's already given us that answer. And for those of us following Jesus, this is the voice that should have the most influence in our lives. Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And he refers to us a little later on in that passage as, as very good. In other words, he looks at his handiwork and is pleased with it. And that is why we can say with confidence that perhaps more than any other person in the world today, the Christian who looks to God for life, both spiritually and physically, we need to make sure that our beliefs and our actions are congruent with the, with the way, the character of who God is in our lives and the actions that he has displayed towards showing us that he loves us. That truth upon which the whole of humanity is built on is one we will talk about again next week from a different angle. But my hope is that in the midst of, of so many voices demanding our allegiance right now, that you who are listening to this, and especially the Restoration family, would heed most the voice of our, our King, our Lord, our Savior Jesus. That we would fully recognize the inherent worth we have. If you are watching this discouraged, you have to know you matter to God. You are valuable to Him. And because we have been created in God's image, we, we have an unassailable worth. But that worth should also drive our hearts, compel our hearts to love others, to love our neighbors in the same way. In fact, I often reference that verse in Philippians where Paul says that sometimes we will need to value and esteem others more highly than ourselves. Sometimes recognizing our worth in Jesus means that we are going to subordinate our worth to somebody else's. We will meet a need or care for a person at the expense of ourselves. And that kind of sacrificial love and generosity rooted in the cross of Christ, I think, is a very important attitude for our hearts and our minds to be displaying wherever God gives us the opportunity to do so. And so as we begin this conversation today and continue it next week, I just ask you to ask yourself, what is God saying to you about how you see his image? How do you understand what the theologians call the Imago Dei, the image of God? How do you understand how that image is reflected in your life 
and how you reflect that image in this world. And what is it that you will do about it? How will you further apply the image of God in your hearts? Where are the places where we will look to God to grow, where we might even need to repent, and how we've distorted His image? What is it that we will do about it? How will we rest upon our Savior Jesus and each other in the weeks that follow as we seek to make these short but incredibly profound words in Genesis 1.27 a reality in our lives, our hearts, and our actions? Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for this day and for another opportunity to worship you. Thank you, Father, for, uh, for creating us, for making us in your image, and for doing it so that we would never question who we are in you. And I do pray, Lord, that, that that confident humility that comes from knowing you are a child of God would absolutely define and redefine the areas of our lives and hearts where we need to reflect more of your image. Show us grace, Father, where we need it. God, uh, encourage our hearts where we please you. And in all of these things, I pray, God, that we would know it is your desire that we become more like your son every day, that we reflect more of his image every day. And so I pray that we would not be secretive or, or bashful in the way we communicate with you or others. Father, you know our hearts. And I pray, God, that we would with robust confidence pray that you would bring about the image of your son in more deep and meaningful ways in our lives as we carry ourselves in this world that you have made. And this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now listen, before uh, I leave you here this morning, I just want to mention two things. I want to, one, uh, let you know that if you have questions about what we just talked about or sang about, uh, if you have objections or issues, if there are next steps you're trying to take with Jesus, if there are places where you want to process more in a more deep fashion, what we've just discussed here about being made in the image of God, there are a number of ways you can do that. Uh, you can obviously contact our church office. We will follow up with you and help you get to wherever the place you need to be going. Wherever Jesus is leading you, we are committed to serving you in that way. I also want you to know that our community groups throughout this whole thing have, have been meeting, first virtually, and now several of them are gathering uh, physically again in distanced ways. And so there are actually places you can go throughout the week to sit down with other men and women just like you and discuss the affairs of the kingdom of God in your own heart. So don't let this be a one-off teaching that you forget about until next week. Let this be what you focus the attention of your mind and heart on throughout this week and, and truly invite the presence of God and our family restoration into your life to help support you in this venture. This is also the place where I want to thank you again for your continued generosity. Um, our tithes and offerings have been pretty stable thus far uh, in a very difficult time in the life of our world. And I thank you for your continued generosity. The things we do here and the things we do in our community are all supported by, by our, our gifts, our tithes and our offerings. So thank you for that. You can continue to give online. That address, uh, web address will be posted. You can uh, mail checks into the church office. And remember, your generosity matters with the family of God, but it also matters in your natural spheres of influence. So look for places where you can continue to bless God when we are not even together as, as a body. And lastly, I would say, please take that survey and tune in this week so that we can put in print the schedule of release for how we're going to resume uh, meeting. Keep in mind, things are changing in every, every day, but we want to go ahead and lay out a plan that we think is going to be good for us and for you and provide some options for us to do our best to resume our times of worship on Sunday as, as normal as they can be in the new landscape of the world we live in. 
I do deeply miss you all, and I have talked to a ton of you, and I know a lot of you are in community outside of this time. So make sure you don't fly solo in these weeks ahead of us. Make sure you connect your heart to Jesus and to somebody else that loves Christ. Support one another and be encouraged by one another. And as you go, I want to challenge you to think about what we discussed today. What does being made in God's image mean in your life? How does it shape your life? How will it shape who you are, what you say, what you do, and how you treat the people that God places in your life, no matter who they are or where they're coming from? And as you go, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father in heaven, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. Amen.